You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. What shall we think about Jesus? And what shall we say out loud about him? That which is expedient or comfortable at the moment? Shall we confess our faith? It does seem sometimes that we are living at a time when Christians can be intimidated. There are times and places when it appears that if a Christian speaks out loud something that's positive about Jesus, there are those who want to cancel that person. For example, Matthew McConaughey, who he opened his Oscar acceptance speech for Best Actor of the Year this way. First off, I want to thank God, because that's who I look up to. And about that moment, and as well as some others, he has also said this. I have had moments where I was on stage receiving an award in front of my peers in Hollywood, and there were people in the crowd that I have prayed with before dinners many times. And when I thanked God, I saw them go to clap, but then notice that bad thing on my resume, and then sit back on their hands. Or ask Kevin Sorbo, star of the 1990s TV show Hercules, and in the early 2000s Andromeda, after he went public confessing his faith, he says that all of the acting offers just dried up. He said, if it wasn't for faith-based or independent movies, I would not have a career anymore. John Voight had a similar experience. He's older, of course. And Neil McDonough has been called a crazy religious guy because he refused to lower his Christian values and his Christian principles. No, this is the guy who has said he would not even participate in a kissing scene in the movies. And then he went on to say, I couldn't get a job because everybody thought I was this religious zealot. Now, how many times more recently have you heard that Christians are just bigoted people? Because of the standards and the commandments and all all that that they confess they adhere to. And so, so much what Christians stand for are against the secular values of the day, and those who are plugged into those secular values call Christians bigots. <clears throat> well, it seems to me this recalls the days of early Christianity when Christians could be persecuted. So some of the Christians became more discreet about confessing their faith in public when they could be punished for it. Because if one wanted to get along well in that society, it was not the best idea to speak out loud positively about Jesus or declare to follow him. Case in point is our text today. Now remember, this text that we just read as the gospel lesson comes right after, as John reports it, comes right after Jesus resurrecting Lazarus. And because of that resurrection, naturally people were impressed. So John records it this way. 
Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. Now, I rather suspect if we had been there at that point in time, we would have been impressed and we would have wanted to turn to Jesus too and possibly confess our faith in the man who had this much power because it was a miracle to remember. Remember that Martha had said to Jesus when he told people to roll away the stone from the grave? Martha had said to him, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been in there four days. But the people witnessed Jesus' power as he called out, Lazarus, come out. John reports, the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus then said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And it's at that point then that John reports, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But there were also people who didn't know what to think. And these are the people, John says, they went to the Pharisees, a group who did believe in a resurrection, possibly based upon the Old Testament lesson we heard today about all them dry bones that Ezekiel reports, and how God covered them with skin, sinews and skin and put life into them. And when Jesus said something to her about a resurrection, Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, obviously, the Pharisees didn't think that day had yet come. So the chief priests with them called a special meeting of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling class who had influence over the lifestyle, the culture, and the faith of the Jews albeit within the limits that Rome had allowed them yet. And they had a different take on this situation. And so John reports that they asked this question. What are we accomplishing? Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now their concern, of course, was a very human one. They thought about their earthly power and their earthly status in which they lived. Now how much different is that from what most of us live in today? Or what people think is important today? It's pretty much the same thing. But remember at this time, Rome appointed the high priest for the year. It might be the same one the following year, or it could be a different one. Now think about that. A government official appoints the spiritual leader of the Jews. So it's no wonder then that these so-called spiritual leaders of the Jews were concerned about the Romans coming to, as they said, take away both their place and their nation. So what did Caiaphas, the high priest, that year think? And what did he say? Now we hear through the words of St. John this. You do not realize it is better for you that one man die for the people than that a whole nation perish. 
Why would Rome take away the governing power that they had allowed civic and, Jew and religious Jewish officials to have? Well, we hear from, as background to all of this, we hear from historian Chris Scare in Chronicles of the Roman Emperors of this time period when Tiberius was the governor of, was the emperor of Rome. And he says that for some time, the Romans believed that their gods had given them victory over the nations that they had conquered, which is pretty much a lot, and dominance over so much of the known world at the time. And that's backed up by Horace, who was a leading poet of the time, when he wrote to Roman citizens after Rome had experienced one military defeat. And this is what Horace wrote. You rule an empire because you acknowledge that you are subordinate to the gods. From them comes every beginning. Attribute to them every outcome. And about the defeat, he says, you neglected the gods, and they heaped on Italy many grievous calamities. Suetonius, who was a Roman historian who wrote a, a biography of 12 Roman emperors of the first century AD, wrote this. The emperor Tiberius suppressed foreign cults such as the Egyptian and Jewish religions by forcing those who embraced such superstitions to burn their religious vestments and all their holy objects. Using required military service as a pretext, he assigned young Jews to provinces with harsher climates. Other men of that same race or belonging to similar cults, he banished from the city under penalty of lifelong slavery if they did not obey. So you see the intimidation going on here in the background? Why they leaders would say, if we let this go on, let Jesus go on, healing people, and he gains this big following. The Romans might come and take us take away our nation as well as our place in it. A more recent historian by the name of Joanne Shelton writes this. The Romans were quite tolerant of other religions, but since they equated the health of the state with scrupulous worship of the state gods, the wish of the Jews to remain a separate community and their refusal to worship any god but their own frequently made them targets of suspicion and hatred. Roman officials had already begun to worry about the unrest caused by this new belief of Christianity. Christians set themselves apart from the rest of Roman society and angered Roman officials by refusing to acknowledge or worship the state gods. Their self-imposed segregation made them easy scapegoats to which Rome could attach the blame for the disasters that befell the state. So the chief priests and the Sanhedrin would think of their power and their status, possibly even their own security, and be concerned for what would happen to them in their country if too many people would come to follow Jesus and worship him and reject the Roman state gods. Jews could even lose what little bit they had left in their country. So if you were in the Sanhedrin's shoes, 
What would you think about Jesus? And what would you say out loud? And I suspect it would be very tempting to do as they did. To think of our own power, our own status, and possibly even our own daily well-being. But as John reports it, God had a purpose for what Jesus was doing in all of this. Caiaphas had said, You do not realize it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Now, of course, Caiaphas had political matters in mind. That it was better for them to get rid of the one man, that is Jesus, than to let him continue to do wonderful miracles and garner a large following who could possibly instigate a riot to threaten Pilate, the Roman governor, and Roman governance. And such a circumstance could impugn the Roman gods, the state gods, and incur Rome's anger. But John does make it clear to us that God used all of this to accomplish his purpose. Here again how John tells us this. Caiaphas did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Jesus was actually on his mission to go to Jerusalem to die for the sins of all people. Remember he said the scattered people? His sacrifice would be the sacrifice that would fulfill all sacrifices that God had required of his people from of old in order to pay for sin. And no longer would animal sacrifices be required for sin. Jesus was the atoning sacrifice, as the writer to the Hebrews says, he, Jesus, did not enter the temple by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. How much more will the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we might serve the living God? And in the epistle lesson today, Paul starts out that chapter, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a comfort that is. So how much Jesus was in control of this situation, John also clarifies for us. From that day on, they, the people, plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. Doesn't that description remind you of the time when Jesus said back in Nazareth, my time has not yet come. You see, he was in total control of the situation. Even though in outward appearance, it might have seemed like the authorities and the people controlled the situation. God works his purpose in mysterious ways. So we'll come back to the question. What do you think of Jesus? And what do you say about Jesus? As it was then, it seems to be so today 
among many people. One still has to have the courage, a Christian still has to have the courage to put aside intimidation and personal human fear to think of Jesus not only as a man but also as God and as such to believe he is our Savior for eternity. Oh, don't overlook the greatest wonder of all. John tells us this too. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It does take courage to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah. It takes courage to witness to his complete overarching love to call a sinner such as I to accept his complete sacrifice so that I can be with him and the Father at the throne eternally. And when we accept his loving sacrifice for us and his resurrection from the dead, I have the most important news of all. Through Jesus, we too shall be resurrected like Lazarus to be restored to the family of God. And at that time, there will be no more intimidation or fear of what others say or threaten. So we acknowledge him to be and confess him to be our Savior, our Lord, over heaven and earth, over life and death. So we think. And so we say. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep our hearts and our minds through faith in Christ unto life everlasting. Amen. This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. We thank you for listening and invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmauspasco.org. M-M-A-U-S-P-A-S-C-O dot org.